0: wondering thinking you know because these churches they they faced a lot of stuff Uh, they faced a lot of opposition and and you just want to be able to kind of protect them but realize that you can't and so what he did was he wrote a letter he wrote the book of colossians because he wanted to call out some things very specifically and say look uh, there's some opposition out there you may not realize it but it's there And Colossians 2 has some of that opposition listed there. One of the oppositions that that he lists and we're going to be talking about later is um, legalism. Now, we'll go into it more more later, but um, think of it this way. You've often heard of the the military metaphor. Whenever we talk about the Christian life, um, sometimes we'll talk about living the Christian life in the context of of like like it's the military, like uh, obedience, discipline, uh, loyalty, uh, spiritual warfare. We hear words like that: um, serving a higher cause, preserving freedom, and so on. And you know, and that's good because Christian life is not meant for those that sit on the couch and eat Cheetos and watch uh, reality T- or so-called reality TV all day. Um, but there is a, a risk that we substitute those things for a true pursuit of Christ. It's not the same. Those are good things, but it's not the same. Or that we limit our Christian life to just that. It's just the disciplines and ideals themselves. They're just a means to an end. The military imposes these rules, and sometimes parents do too, um, as a means of behavior modification. Have you heard that term? Behavior modification. Because it just changes what what you do. It really doesn't change who you are necessarily. And see, this risk of rule following can carry over into our Christian life. We can just become behaviorally a Christian and act like one because we know what they act like. We watch some others. Oh, so if I act like that, I'm a Christian. Okay. And that's what Paul's, one of the things that Paul's, Paul is writing about. And see, one of the things is we actually prefer rule following because it requires less commitment. We don't have to think. My understanding, and, and I've, I've not been in the military, I've talked to uh, some of you who, who have, um, that basically in the military you, you, you just simply do what is commanded. Okay, We don't pay you necessarily to think. You just do it. If your commander says you do it, you just do it. And sometimes we, we almost want our Christian life to do that. Just give me some rules. I don't want to actually have to engage my mind, will, and emotions into my Christian life. I just want the rules. It's easier not the Christian life. It's not what we're talking about. And that's one of the things that Paul writes about in Colossians chapter 2. He gives in this chapter four directives. Four directives, and those are the four that you're going to write down. If you have, I don't know what page that is on in your uh, 21. Thank you, 21. It's called Following Rules or Following Christ. And there are four directives directives in this chapter. We're going to try to get to all four uh, in these verses. If someone could read uh, verses one through five, that's a good chunk of it right there. Uh, verses, yes, verses one through five. Um, if someone, Mike, you have that? Could you read that? This is basically uh, Paul's testimony. This, these first five verses are, are sort of a, a personal testimony, sharing from his heart. He calls it a struggle. If you look back at 129, it's the same word. It's a struggle. That's how much he was engaged in the lives of the people that he served. It wasn't just I'm going, preach at you and move on. He was, he was engaged. It was a struggle for him. The Greek word for that is fight. It's literally fight. He was struggling hard for the lives of the people there. And his struggle centered on, in verse 2, encouraged hearts, unity, and he talked about wealth. I think it calls it riches there in, in, the, in the passage. Um, yeah, reach all the, to reach all the riches of full assurance. See, it's an encouraged hearts, not just happy faces, but real deep uh, joy, something that comes from deep within. Uh, that's what he was hoping for, and unity knit together in love. Uh, this is not the solitary figure, and we were talking in um, we've been talking in church on on Sundays about um, don't waste your life in the American dream. And very much the American dream is uh, often the solitary figure. I can stand alone. I'm, I pull myself up by my own bootstraps, and I don't need anybody else. And that's not what Scripture teaches. Scripture teaches that we actually need one another. That's one of the reasons we're here this weekend because we need our brothers and sisters in Christ. in verse um, 3, to reach all the riches of full assurance of the understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery. In the context here, the riches, you realize what the riches are. See, when we see the word riches, immediately we think, you know, put some dollar signs in there. Real riches here in this context is the unity, the fellowship, coming together. That's real wealth. A wealthy person is the person from what Paul is saying here who has that tight unity with his brothers and sisters? Could not have a penny in the bank, but boy, if he's got that, that's wealth. That, that's just so opposite of what of what we know as, as you know in the American dream is. No, you gotta have things. You gotta drive really something. You know, have a few things in your driveway. You gotta have a really nice. No, no, no. Real wealth here is uh, relationships. Matthew Henry calls a commentator calls this. I like this term, soul prosperity, soul prosperity. That's the real kind of prosperity that we need, loving one another. And then verse 4, drop to verse 4. He drops a hint in here that he's going to be writing about something significant. You see verse 4? I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments or reasonable arguments. Now, why would he say that? Because there's something going on in that area, uh, the people who are receiving this letter. Then they were being deceived. And so he's got to write a letter to straighten out. But, again, what he does, and we'll revisit this, but he, he does not start listing all the things that they're doing wrong. He starts out by saying who Christ is. Get a solid hold on that. Because you or I, I mean, in our lives, we could we could easily come up with you know list, lists of things we do wrong or somebody else. Well, I could I could give you a list of so and so and what they do wrong. Paul doesn't do that. He says go back to Christ, go back to see who Christ is and what that means. Verse, verses six and seven. We got to move a little more quickly here than I thought. Um, Jacob, you got that? Can you go to six and seven? Okay, there's an imperative in it. In Scripture, there are, are certain things that you look for. One of them is an imperative. It's a directive. It says, do this. Does anybody pick out that, what that is? It's a verb. Walk. Yes, walk. That's the first directive. How he wants us to walk, walk in Christ. Directive number one. There's going to be four of them, and this is the, the first. Walk in Christ. When he says this, we need to understand what he's talking about in verse six. He spells it out more in verse seven, um, but in verse six, let me just briefly tell you: walk. We use this word a lot—the Christian walk. What does that mean? You know, I want a strong Christian walk. Good. Okay, help me out there. Um, oh, I read my Bible. Okay, let me tell you four things. Okay, and I and typically whenever I have experienced or come in contact with a, a brother or a sister or someone who who is struggling, I see a weakness in one of these four areas. It's pretty much drawn back to one of these four. One, it's a consistent, deep study of God's Word. Okay, what we're doing here is the the title is walk. And what does it mean? First, it means a consistent, deep study of God's Word. I'm not talking about reading books about God's Word. Those are good. There's a place for those. But your own study, that means you and your Bible and nothing else. That's hard for us sometimes. I know. We, we have schedules. We have, You know what? I don't have time. You know what? Take it one verse at a time. Do you have time for one verse today? Oh, yeah. Take that one verse and study. And I encourage you. We're, I mean, we, we're giving out these um, theology books. There are so many study tools. Use them. Um, I, having been in the Philippines I can tell you there's there's people that would just, just a study Bible. Oh, my goodness, that's that's all they, w- they would want, or a, or a whole Bible instead of a New Testament. Here in the States, man, you can go on Amazon. You can look for just about any kind of study Bible, any kind of study book you want it, and it's there. We just have an overabundance. Find some. Dig. Uh, find some good study guides um, where you can uh, take the Scripture and look at it and understand. Uh, it's on, it's on It's online. It's on computer. You can go to BibleGateway.com and find all kinds of study guides there. Okay? Um, A deep, consistent study of God's Word. Second is, uh, this is under the heading of of walk, what it means to walk, is a consistent, deep prayer life. This isn't uh, before you eat the meal, rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the grub. Uh, No, this is something where you are digging, where you are are spending time in prayer. And you know one thing that I've learned, um, or I, (laughs) I am learning? uh Sometimes that time of prayer is not just you talking and asking for things. it's you sitting there and listening. Have you ever done that? Just sat and listened and just in silence, say, I'm God, I'm here. I don't have any books and there's nothing, no my computer's out here, my phone's upstairs. I'm just listening. That's prayer because you realize what prayer is, it's two-way conversation, you know? God is up there listening but did you ever it occur did it ever occur to you that he might want you to listen to him and sometimes our blabbering and our our activity prevents him from doing that just stop and listen that's the second the third one is uh, fellowship with brothers and sisters and again he, these are four areas and i there's probably more but I tell you those that i have seen struggle have struggled in one or more of these areas fellowship with other believers one of the things that to my advantage is my, my time that I spend on Monday nights with are mosaic. That is a valuable, valuable time of fellowship with my brothers and sisters in Christ. I need that. Yes, I yeah, I, I work with Christians, I am you know, at work, I, I meet with the elders and so forth, but as far as fellowship with other brothers and sisters, I need that. You need that. You can't do this by you can't do the Christian life by yourself. You need somebody else around you. Fourth, under this heading is is service. We're actually doing something. And this is I know one that we struggle with as well. Because we are so busy. But if you're going to live the balanced Christian life and have that walk, you've got to be doing something with what God is teaching you. So many of us will just sit there and soak it in and say, This was good. I'm glad I learned that. Or we'll hear something on the radio and, and say, That was good. That was a good thought. Man, I'm going to take that. I'm going to write that down. Do something with it. What has God called you to do? Someone will say, Oh, I can't. I don't know. I can't use me. If you're a believer, you have been gifted with a spiritual gift. Use it. You don't know what it is? Find out. Pray. Ask other people. um, See what your abilities are. And then don't just sit there. I've said this before on Sunday mornings at church. Don't just sit and and fill a seat. That's not what church is for. Church is for us to get involved and to do things. Too often we see church as kind of like a consumer thing where I come and you fill my needs. That's not biblical church. Biblical church is us going in there doing something. I don't know of any needs. Ask our church is full of them. Your brothers and sisters need you. Do something. Uh, many of you are gifted in teaching. Would love to see you teach. Some of you simply say, I can, I can help. I can serve. I have the gift of helps. Do it. But that, that's part of the balanced Christian life. It's not one of those things where I belong to a club, so i got to fill my dues. No. If you're going to live and grow as a Christian, step up and do something. One of the best ways to learn and to to study a passage of Scripture is to have to teach it. I could have studied Colossians 2 on my own, and I know a little bit. But, man, if I had to stand up here and talk about it for 45 minutes, I better know it real well. Same with you. You can do that. You can lead. You can lead others to God's Word. You can teach them. Um, That's part of what we do. Okay. Uh, we spent too much time on that. Um, verses 6 and 7, that was uh, the first imperative, the first directive, walk in him. Second, uh, Verses 8, why don't we have someone, let's just read um, um, verse 8. Charlie, you got verse 8 right there? That's chapter 2, verse 8. Second second, uh, directive, don't allow yourselves to be taken captive. The first one was positive. Walk this way. The second one, and we'll find out all three of the next ones, are negative. Don't allow this to happen. So apparently there's something going on where Paul has to throw this in there and and says, watch out. He He makes it significant because he says, see to it. That implies proactive initiative. In other words, be on the guard against. There's one way to, to be a security guard where you sit in the booth and just kind of wonder if anything's going on out there. Or you get out of the booth and you walk around and you make sure everything's secure. It's the second one that we need to be. That's be taking proactive initiative. One of the things that, I, that he's, oh, let's look at, he says, philosophy, the love of wisdom um, in its basic sense, it's not a bad thing necessarily, but in its basic sense, it elevates human wisdom. And the empty deceit describes the philosophy and human tradition. Those things, he says, be on the guard against those because they can push aside the preeminence of Christ if we let it. And that's one thing we have to be constantly on a guard about. One thing that we, I, I think, um, I don't know, if I was a reader or a listener, yeah, when they when these letters came around, um, someone would stand up and read these, and I'm listening. I'm thinking, well, that's not going to affect me. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not stupid. I wouldn't know. Uh, and and you know, why why is he telling us this stuff? See, that's one of the most dangerous places to be. If ever we come to a point where we think we don't need to be on our guard or nobody can fool me, that's when we're most at risk. Think about that. Because if we're, if we're like, okay, so, okay, this person I need to listen carefully, or this book I need to read it carefully, um, or this uh, news media I'm, I'm listening, and, I'm, and if, you, if you think, you know what, I already know God's word, so I don't have to worry. No, 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 no. We need to be always on our guard. If we ever think ourselves above that, that's when we're most at risk. We need to be extremely careful. And that's what he's saying there. Uh, philosophy, empty deceit, human tradition. I think one of the things that, uh, that abounds today is the new religion of tolerance. And um, I think maybe, this is, I'm speculating here, okay? Tolerance, you know, this thing of, well, you know what, if, if they think it's okay, we should just let them believe what they want to believe. Everybody's worshiping the same God, let's not really um, stir anything up, this tolerance. I, I think it might be a backlash perhaps, against some well-meaning Christians in the past who have basically called out anything that is not inside their little box that they have drawn of what they believe to be truth. Let me be careful here, okay? Because, yes, we do know what truth is and we do know that it belongs in in a box, but I tell you what, calling out people outside of that box in the way that some Christians do is uncalled for. It just serves to alienate them. And it does make... Christians appear intolerant. We are to, to, you know, as far as Scripture goes, yes, we are. But there's no need to do that because what, that happen, what happens then is there's a backlash. Well, then all of a sudden, and I've heard this so many times, tolerance is like the new religion where we just say, well, whoever is, you know, if you believe that, it's okay, you're all welcome. Yes, they are, but as they come, they're going to hear what we believe, and it's going to be truth from God's word. I don't know. That's just I, I've kind of sensed that in the past, and it's uh, it, it kind of bothers me because I, I sometimes I wonder if that's where it came from. Did did it come from believers, well-meaning believers, who drew their little box and then blasted everybody outside of it, uh, so that so that people are, are don't want to hear it from us. You know, so we have to be. I think we have to be careful of that. I, I in fact I remember a um um uh a pastor, when I was a kid. I remember a pastor, well-respected pastor. Who, who I remember the few times I heard him preach the word, even as a young kid, I was just so impressed. And then years later came back, and I heard him preaching, and he didn't preach for anything. <laughs> he preached against everything. I was like, okay, he didn't, you know, he just started listing all kinds of denominations and churches and everything else, and he was against all of them. And I was wondering, are you for anything? And I think some, we have to be careful of that, that, that we don't become so narrow uh, that, we, that we push everybody away. Verse uh, nine. Uh, Let's read verses nine and ten together. Yeah. Uh, What's that? What do you have? Yeah, and that's good. You have. Go ahead. Nine and ten. Did you read verse 10? Okay, I'm looking at the different version. And yeah, and you have been filled to him who is the head of all rule and authority. That one phrase in verse 9 captures much of what Colossians is about. Just that one phrase In him, in Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Right there, right in that core. That's who Christ is. God himself is. In human form. And that's one thing, again, I think we've already talked about it. it's, it's hard for to get our minds around that. Um, but 100% God, 100% man, that's him. Verse 9. Verse 10. And you have been filled in him. You're a part of this completeness when you're in Christ. Um, and this affects you. See, it isn't just some idea out there that we can know and and, and be able to answer correctly, it affects us as we ourselves. That's us. This affects us. In verse 10, you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. Verses 11 through 14. If somebody could, uh, Nick, do you have that? Could you read 11 through 14? This is some figurative language here um, that we need to get a grasp on. Uh, he mentions in there circumcision, and he mentions baptism, and he mentions cancelling the record of debt. And he does this, does this for a purpose. Um, this is a men's retreat, so we can talk about this. Circumcision is an ugly, painful procedure, OK? And when Paul uses it here, immediately they know what he's talking about. that. And when he uses it in reference to our old sin nature, that's a cu- cutting off. That's a compl- it's like removal of that flesh. And so this is very this is this is this helps um, the readers and listeners understand what it is he's talking about because that's what the picture is. It's a cutting off, cutting away of the old nasty stuff. What, what something you don't even want to think about. Good, good. That's the picture we should have in our mind because that's what's being cut away. And the baptism, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God. It's that baptism coming back, going underneath and coming back up out of the water. It's that being raised, that picture. We're trying to get a picture of what it is that, that Paul is writing about here. And you who were dead in your, transgression, in your uh, trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made al- alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us. That's a long record of debt. You've got to realize this. I don't think we understand or fully comprehend the, the, the canceling the debt thing um, because we, we, somehow we think, well, I didn't do that many bad things. Hello? uh i have i don't know about you but that list is long and what god did was he just like in in a and this is a this is a financial word he canceled that out zeroed it out man uh, that, what a freeing freeing! You, you think about that and dwell on that it's just like oh wow all those things god did it's just a heart of thankfulness and gratitude to him for doing that. And that's what Paul's writing. He's saying it's just a canceled. And with its legal de- demands, <clears throat> he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Another figurative. So this whole passage, this whole few verses is very figurative. But he took those and he nailed them to the cross. I don't know if you remember. Um, we've done this in years past at church on, uh, after the, um, the baptism. We have the picnic and we have that baptism. And uh, the number of people who are baptized, whoever's baptized, that next Sunday, they come to church. And this is something I remember. Pastor, Pastor Wayne used to do this. He he would write. Remember that, Carlos? He would write. And what you would do, would you, you would write some of your, your the things that you've done on that little piece of paper that he had. And then on that wooden cross that he had up there, you would tack them up there. And it was a special paper. So when he lit that on fire, poof, it disappeared. Not even ashes. And that instant... It hits you, wow! All that stuff gone, canceled, man. All that forgiveness. Do we need that? That forgiveness? Of course, we need that. And that I don't know. When I when I read this, that's the picture that I had. That came to mind was all that stuff nailed up on the cross, and poof, um, God did that. God did that. Verse sixteen. Could someone read verse sixteen? Uh, Let's see, we want 16 and 17. Yeah, somebody, um, Mike Combs, you got that Uh, 17 and 18? This is the the, uh, third directive. Don't allow yourselves to be judged. Don't allow yourselves to be judged. And what was happening here was there were people, probably Jews at that time, who believed that if you're going to be Christian, okay, I'll be Christian, but in addition to that, since I'm still Jewish, then I've got to still follow all of these rules from the Jewish law. It's got to be both and. I can't give up my Jewishness in order to become a Christian. And so they were imposing that, and it's listed what some of them are there, um, questions with food or drink, uh, the f- regard to a festival or the new moon or Sabbath. And Paul says that's all, that's all in the past. Don't let people judge you because of that because you don't, you don't follow that. See, it was in the Jewish mind, and for, for thousands of years they had done this. And for Christ to come and say that was all canceled by his death on the cross, they, they couldn't understand that. And so they were imposing these rules on the new Christians and saying not only do you have to do this as a Christian come to faith in Christ, you also have to do all these other things that we used to do in the past. And Jesus said, no, that's done with. That is done away with the law. And it's not that they were bad things. OK, in fact, you find them in the Old Testament of things to do, but it's not necessary for salvation. And see, what that does, adding these things in and, and anything else that we try to add in, it it's t- says that Christ's death was not enough. Christ's death, burial, resurrection was not enough. You have to do more. And anytime time anybody says anything like that, it is false because Christ's death, burial, and resurrection is fully sufficient. That's all we need. And there are people, you think, well, I, nobody's ever asked me to you know, do new moon uh, festival or sabbath or whatever but anytime anybody says okay you you can be a christian but also in order to be a christian you realize you've got to do this i remember back in the in the day when i was young <clears throat> it was uh it was the hippies with long hair i still remember my parents going on about that they there's just no way in their minds that these long-haired hippies could be christians they didn't cut their hair there's men with long hair how can that possibly be and and true that was that at that time and i'm not faulting my parents for that but but it's just one of those things yes it's just one of those things that we try to add in there and say christians will do this yeah <laughs> well we don't know what jesus looked like <laughs> we, we don't know <laughs> yeah the pictures that we know uh, but, but we, see, we do that. I'm just using that as an example because anytime anybody tries to add anything in there, it is wrong because full sufficiency is in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And these Jewish believers are trying to add things in and saying you have to keep the Sabbath. You have to do this. They even added in circumcision said you have to be circumcised. No, no, because that, what that does is it removes the full sufficiency of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. We have to be careful with that. Verse 18. Um, uh, Gary, you have that? Verse 18? Uh, could you read verse 19 too? Mm-hmm. This is the fourth directive. Don't allow yourselves to be defrauded. We use the word defrauded, disqualified, I think, I think in some versions. You can use either one, whichever one you know how to spell. Um, don't allow yourself to be disqualified or defrauded. And see, these people were chasing shadows, asceticism. The false humility, humility, the pious self-denial. Look at me, and then the worship of angels, which amazingly still persists to this day. The worship of angels. I, I don't. I really don't understand that. But I, they are okay. They are heavenly beings, but they're not to be worshipped. They're to point to God. And some people stop and and they worship the angel instead of the God. I don't understand that, but they did it here as well. And that's one of the things he's he's writing about. And then. These that like to talk about their experiences, uh, going on in detail about visions. This is one thing I think we have to be careful as, of as well. Um, in the way, th- how this applies today, I think at, at times, it, not necessarily visions, but sometimes, at least in evangelical circles, we will talk about our testimonies. And sometimes we share testimonies to the extent that people know more about us than they do about God. That's not right. Anytime you share your testimony, people should walk away saying God is great, not you. And sometimes I've heard testimonies so much so that that it, it more glorifies the person than it does God. And that's one thing that Paul is warning about here. Be careful of that. Be careful of that. See how, see how subtle this can be. We don't even realize it sometimes. And, again, it takes us back again and again to if we're going to realize it, if we're going to discern it, it's going to be not because we've come up with a list of things to be discerned about. It's going to be study who God is. It goes back to the illustration that, that uh, Eric has used and others have used of studying and knowing what the counterfeit is. Uh, I'm sorry, starting, studying and knowing what the real thing is. So that when the counterfeit comes along, we know what what it looks like. So I mean that we need to understand and know Christ. That is the, that is central to understanding and knowing the things that are going to try to cause us to drift from Him. So those are the four that I saw in there as far as what his directives were. And then verses uh, twenty and uh, for verses twenty through twenty-three. Uh, Ryan, do you have that? Of the flesh. Oh, thank you. Um, these are, the, and some of these are. We're not calling these out as necessarily bad things. You think about some of the things that we do um, to kind of draw our attention to God. It should serve as that. Sh- again, it should not serve to draw attention to us. You got to look at the motive for why you're doing it. Uh, for, let me use it for instance. Some of you uh, will lift. Some like to lift weights. Let's say you like to lift weights. Um, bodybuilding or whatever that's, that's a good thing that we do for our bodies but look at the motive behind it why do we do that if it's to build up the body and to make it look good what matter is that going to be when it's laying in a wooden box and they're about to bury it where's it going it's going to turn to dirt but if we're doing it to glorify God because we want to be a good steward of the body he's given us that's different see what I mean so it goes to the motive of why we do these things. It's not necessarily he's calling them out as bad, but he's saying, examine your motives. Understand why you're doing them. There are so many things that can distract us, good things, from our walk with Christ. We need to be constantly vigilant so it doesn't happen. And that's what Paul was reading, uh, warning the readers about. He's saying, don't be sidetracked by these so-called new ways of living. Don't be a mindless rule follower. Don't allow some of these new ways of living seep into your Christian life. See, in doing that, you become host to a monstrous tapeworm that draws away the real nourishment from God through his word, fellowship, and serving. A few times um, when we've been up in the uh, boundary waters fishing, notice I say fishing, not catching Big difference. Um, We've, uh, yeah, we do a lot of fishing. We don't do a a whole lot of catching. Um, We'll be out in a canoe. And uh, notice as we're, let's say there's two of us in the canoe and be fishing. And so intent on what we're doing that we don't realize that the wind, even though it's a slight breeze, has kind of drifted us all the way across the lake or somewhere. And you're like, all of a sudden you're down there, you're fishing, you look up and you're like, where's the campsite? Where am I? Because the wind has taken you and turned you around. And typically what we found is, in fact, when, when I've fished with Ryan and Eric, we found the best way to do it is one of us uh, will just switch off. One of us will have the paddle and keep us going in the right t- direction while the other one fishes. And, and that keeps us, keeps us straight. The other thing is um, sometimes when, when we've had groups of men up there and uh, we'll stop for lunch out in the middle of the lake away from the mosquitoes and we'll, we'll kind of tie our boats together so we're all grouped together in one, and none of us are paddling, and all of a sudden the wind will just take us clear across the lake in a matter of five minutes. Because And you think it's just a slight breeze, uh, but it's really something that, that's pushing you across the lake. We are in danger of drifting, every one of us, if we're not very vigilant. And see, this is what Paul is writing about. He's probably writing to a church that thought, we're okay. We, we, we've, we've had Paul. Paul actually – we know who Paul is. And some of his disciples have come here and taught us. So we're okay. you don't have to worry about us. That's when we're at risk. We have to be vigilant, constantly vigilant. All these things. And see, Paul didn't go into great detail writing about all of these philosophies and everything. We don't either. What we do go into great detail is the study of God's word and who God is and in Colossians, who Christ is. That understanding is what is going to keep us from drifting. That and that alone. We can examine all the worldly philosophies. We can become experts in those. That's not going to keep us from drifting. What's going to keep us from drifting is those things that Paul listed there, our walk with Christ and being vigilant in all of those areas as we, as we follow him, as we spend time in his word, as we study. Now, this sets it up. How are we going to do that and why does it matter? That's what we're going to find out tomorrow morning, and that's what Jose is going to be talking about. Would you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for teaching us. Uh, Father, if if anything, we realize we have so much to learn. Lord, that just a few moments we've talked about um, living for Christ and who Christ is, uh, Lord, it's it's cut deep into our hearts, and we realize that the things that we learn here, we can take them home. That's something that we can take home. The things that are waiting for us at home, Father, are answered. Through you, through your word, and we thank you for that. Thank you, we can rest in you. We commit this evening to you, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.